Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. My name is Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer, and we're on a pretty good run, everyone, with good listener questions. So thanks to everybody that's submitting those questions. Keep sending those in to us. Um, you guys are asking some really great questions, and it's been fun to answer them. So um, today we have a question from a listener named D. Um, and D has a, a really interesting question about evangelism. She asks, how do I tell somebody who believes in another religion that they're wrong? So JD, I mean, is that is that something we need to think about in evangelism? How do we how do we go about evangelizing to people that that believe a different religion that we think is is wrong? Well, D, that's a great question, and I know that's probably one that you're thinking of in context of somebody. Um, in particular, I always find it helpful to remember that we're not debating topics here as much as we are talking about people that we love, and um, we're not trying to win arguments, but win people. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, this is one of the hardest parts of evangelism. I mean, on one hand, if somebody didn't have a religion, then you're able to say, "Well, here, here's why I believe in Jesus." Um, if somebody's more of a, you know, kind of a failed, uh, a, a lapsed Christian, or they have a general Christian worldview, you're calling them to, you know, to truth. But when somebody is raised for example, a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Jew, Hindu, something like that, and you're trying to explain to them that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. Um, I mean, you know, kind of the unspoken thing or sometimes spoken thing is people are like, well, the reason you're a Christian, J.D., is because you were born in a Christian country. Uh, you were born to, you know, Christian parents. And um, in fact, I had a, a Muslim friend of mine tell me that directly. He's like, you know, if I'd been born in your household, I'd probably be a Christian. And if you'd been born in mine, you would probably be a Muslim. And, and, and what I'm really telling them is that you have to... I mean, I hate to say it starkly like this, but you got to turn your back on your family in one sense, and you got to follow Jesus. I mean, it's not like that's not part of the gospel message. Jesus him, himself said that, unless you're willing to forsake father and mother and leave everything to come and follow me, you can't be my disciple. So, I mean, it's it's true, and we have to say that, but that doesn't mean that it's not something really difficult. And let me just kind of acknowledge there, there was you know, it was definitely a season of my life, a couple of years, where when I, I lived as a missionary in a Muslim part of Southeast Asia, that most of the conversation I, I had with people about the gospel had this as a backdrop. And so, the all that to say is I understand this is a very personal question for me and, and one I'm really glad that you asked. Um, you know, let me just talk about a handful of things here that that I would encourage you to keep in mind as you approach this. One is, is genuinely the role of relationship um, in these things. When it comes to somebody forsaking all to follow Jesus, um, that has to be done in the context of relational safety. One of the reasons we put in you know long hours with people, long years with people, is uh, that relational trust that they feel toward us becomes something that actually makes them uh, makes them feel safe when they do it. I mean, you know, when it comes to whole life commitments like this, these are not mainly intellectual arguments to be reasoned through. It's a it's a, a soul commitment, and that involves you know so much of you. That's good. It's one of the reasons that missionaries don't typically become effective in places until. They've been there for a while. One of my uh, one of my friends who's a missionary has been over there a long time. He says it's it's being a missionary is a lot like paying down a mortgage. You know, when you first start paying down your mortgage, if you've ever looked at it, it's kind of depressing. All you're doing is paying interest. But the longer you do it, once you get into year, you know, 12, 13, 14, you're, you're, you're watching that that balance shift from being mainly interest to where you're starting to pay down principal. He said, when you first get to a, an area where you're a, a missionary and in this kind of context, the effort you put in is not that effective. Um, but after you've been there for years and you're starting to build that relational trust, um, it becomes, you become much more effective in it. And so I would just tell you, be willing to put in the time. 
uh, lots of conversations, lots of being with people as they walk through suffering and walk through joy and being there to encourage them and pray with them. There's there's really no shortcut to that. It's it's how Jesus was with us. He incarnated the gospel, and that's what what you do also. Um, so that, that's the first thought. The second thought is you, you do have to. We have to tell them the truth. Hmm. God said to the prophet Ezekiel very very clearly, Ezekiel thirty three eight, if I declare to people that they are are going to perish and you don't tell them then when they perish, yes, they're perishing for their own sin, but but I'm going to require their blood at your hand because you didn't actually give them the truth. Um, you know, the book of Acts is clear that Paul reasoned with people often in whether it was the pagan temples or whether it was in the Jewish synagogues, um, proving to them logically um, that Jesus had to be the Christ. So there was a role there for, you know, just um, truth telling, even without the context of relationship, and even in the course of what some would call a debate or an argument, Paul was was very forceful in trying to show that logically these things made sense. Um, in Acts chapter twenty, when Paul was giving his farewell speech to the Ephesian believers, there he, he he told them, you know, that he was free from the blood of the people in the city because he had fully represented, fully represented the word of God to them, and had not withheld anything. He told them the truth. Um, he was quoting, by the way, Ezekiel 33 there, saying, I'm free from your blood because I told you the truth. And so we owe them the truth, whether we have what we feel like is enough relationship capital to tell them, we um, we have to speak the truth. And so I would always err on the side of speaking truth, um, even though there is a balance there to building relationship and speaking truth. The third thought I'll give you is something I learned as a missionary, and it may be better than trying to sit down and logically prove why Jesus is, you know, the only way of salvation and whether it's Muhammad or Buddha or whatever, um, you know, is, is not sufficient. That is, um, is you're looking for places in their religious belief that set them up for the gospel. Um, several missionaries um, of the last 2,000 years have, have pointed out that God, it's like he leaves himself a witness. You know, Romans 1 says he's put a witness into creation. And what these missionaries say is he's also embedded some of these pointers to him, signposts. He's embedded them in the religions themselves. It was a really popular book, came out in the 1970s. Um, I read it when I was, you know, in the 1990s, of course, but um, it was called Peace Child. And it was about this missionary family, the, the Richardsons, I think their names were, who um, they were going to minister to this unreached tribe that was was really brutal. Lots of missionaries had tried um, ineffectively to to reach them. Don Richardson said that one of the most troubling things was that this was a, a tribe that, that they idolized treachery or deception. Uh, he, he said, when I was first teaching through the Gospels and I got to the story of Judas, he said they they cheered for Judas. Well, Judas, he was really, you know, he was really something. He was able to pull this one over on, on Jesus. The tribe was known for theft and murder. They were cannibals. And so he he felt like he was very ineffective at doing that and couldn't communicate the gospel until one day. It was right before a war that this tribe, the warriors of this tribe were about to have with this other tribe, that suddenly these representatives from this other tribe showed up and they were carrying with them a small child and um, and they offered it to this tribe. And then the tribe that he was, Don Richardson was a part of, um, leaders from their tribe offered a child in return to this other tribe. And then they didn't go to war. And so both of the warring parties went home and there was peace. And, and so when, when, when Don Richardson was asking about it, he came to learn that this was a, a concept called the peace child, that you could make peace by giving um, a son from your tribe to the other tribe, that as long as this son was alive, it was the proof that they would not attack. And Don Richardson said, there it hit me that God had put within this tribe this 
ceremony that that depicted the gospel. And he said, I was able to explain that that Jesus was God's peace child that he gave to us, um, that he was laying down his weapons and that he was going to take the penalty for our sin upon himself. And um, that communicated to them. It resonated with them. And uh, the rest of the book goes on to tell about the, the process of that opening the door for the gospel and that whole tribe coming to faith in Christ. What Don Richardson argued, and I think very effectively, was that in most religions you find, you're going to find something like that, some concept of the peace child. Um, it was certainly there when I was a a missionary to, to Muslims. When I first got there, I was always trying to explain why logically Christianity was more solid than Islam. And, and, and we had a lot of good debates on it and they were fine debates, but but it never really got anywhere. Um, and then, you know, I was I was sitting with uh, some friends of mine and uh, some Muslim friends and the call to prayer happened. And three of them stood up to go to prayer. And um, I was watching them go through the rituals of prayer. And so when they came back, I started asking questions and they called it the wudu. That's the cleansing ceremony where they would wash, you know, extensively, but cleaning themselves before they go in before Allah, before God. And so I asked them, I said, well, you know, tell me about this cleaning process. I'm like, first of all, what's, what's the, what's the, what, what are the dirty things you're trying to clean yourself up? And they have a whole list of them. And I said, well, what is the dirtiest thing? What is the dirtiest thing that you can touch? And they're like, oh, without any questions, it's a pig. You know, if you touch a pig, you are just so dirty in the eyes of God. You have to wash seven times, not just once. You have to wash with water and sand and soap and then with water again. And this whole ritual. And, and, and I said, I mean, respectfully, I said, really, like, of all the things in the universe, you really feel like a pig is the dirtiest thing to God. And one of them said, he said, no. He said, you know what really is the dirtiest thing to God is idolatry. I said, okay, well, what part of your body does idolatry take place in? And the guy said, he said, well, it takes place in the heart. I said, well, how do you wash your heart? He said, well, you, you don't, you just repent and God forgives you. And I'm like, well, I mean, you can't just repent of touching the pig. You have to repent and wash. I said, does, you know, does it really make sense that for a pig, you would have to repent and then wash, but for the dirtiest thing of all, which is idolatry, that you could just repent? What is the, the voodoo that cleanses your heart? And um, they, you know, I, remember, I remember the guy looked at me and he said, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know. And it opened the door for us to talk about the gospel and to say, you know, that Jesus' blood was the, the you know, if I could say this, the voodoo from heaven that was cleansing our hearts so that we could be clean before God. That's good. Now, I'm not saying that was like a magic bullet and they all immediately fell on their knees and began to weep and say, what must I do to be saved? But, but it did open a door that communicated with them differently than just the debates that we have been having. And the point is, in every world religion, there is almost always these places where the religion presents a question that the religion itself can't adequately answer. Uh, they're all through Islam. There are many in Buddhism. They're, in every different worldview, you're going to find things that present questions that the gospel gives a better answer than the religion itself does. And so I would just encourage you as you um, are engaging in this, don't think of it so much as debate as think of Christianity as, as a way of fulfilling and answering the questions that this religion is presenting. Because like Paul says in Romans 1, if God has written into creation questions that only he can answer, then it makes sense that the religions of the world that come from creation would have embedded within them those very same questions. So look for those. So the point of that is you find points of commonality, communicate with love and in relationship and uh, yeah, argue when you need to, press your point, be logical, but litigation and really, you know, kind of taking debate to the wee hours of the night where you're 
you know, yelling at each other and screaming and pointing at your Bibles. I mean, that, that has a very limited effectiveness in, in these kinds of relationships because the cost to follow Jesus is so big and it needs to be done in the, the context of relational safety, or at least that will help it out a lot. Um, finally, the last thing I'll say, and I'd be remiss to not say this, I hope it's obvious, is you got to pray. When Jesus says to Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter goes through a litany of wrong answers, which is what the world religions give, you know, wrong answers about who Jesus is. Jesus then says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And when Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, when he responds with the right answer, Jesus said, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Your father in heaven, he's the one that revealed that to you. Flesh and blood, that would be mine and your arguing abilities. That would even be the, the, the great, beautiful, loving things that I do for them, the winsome ways that I present the gospel. Flesh and blood, no matter how um, how long you invest and how charismatic you are, flesh and blood cannot convince somebody else of the truth of Jesus. Only God in heaven, the Father in heaven can do that. So never talk to people about God more than you talk to God about them. And that's especially true when it comes to people um, of other religions. All right. Well, JD, thanks so much for that answer. And just again, that reminder at the end there, just to, to pray. And um, when we're evangelizing, sharing the gospel, just to know this, the power of God doing that and to really lean into his power to, to see people's hearts and minds change. So that's really great. Um, next week, we have another listener question and another interesting one that JD can dive into. And the question next week will be, is it ever okay to lie? If you want more from Pastor JD, any other uh, questions or thoughts that you want to hear from him, you definitely should follow him on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. I don't know if JD's on threads yet. Or you can go to jdgreer.com, and there's all sorts of articles. There's podcasts, there's books, there's sermons, there's all whatever content JD's cranking out. It is going to be on jdgreer.com or on his social media. So if you want more from him, you should definitely check those out. And we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything. Mm -hmm.